disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. Well, it is the 200th episode of The Disruption Zone. There's a lot of podcasts that have way more episodes than we do, but I'm kind of proud of 200. Uh, It's been a work of love uh, on the part of myself and Cameron Mills for the last few years, and uh, we really enjoy doing this, and we're going to try to crank out more episodes as time goes on, but it's growing. We are nearing 100,000 downloads, which is pretty awesome. Um, And so listen... Uh, we just really appreciate you guys, the listeners, for helping make this possible. And I wanted to bring on a very special guest. He's been on a lot lately uh, because he's been stirring the pot a lot. And that's what the Disruption Zone is all about, right? People who are disruptors, people who are doing things that are big and huge and outside the box. And so we've had Congressman Thomas Massey on a lot. He's been a friend of the podcast all the way back to episode two. And uh, he is now currently suing Nancy Pelosi. And he's suing her over the mask mandate uh, on congressman. And that sounds like so, to some people that might sound like petty, right? Like it's petty. Like, why is he suing over a mask? Was it just mask up and just let it go? He's actually suing against tyranny. And if you listen to him explain the importance of the constitutional principles that are being articulated in his lawsuit, you'll understand why it matters to you what what Congressman Thomas Massey is doing in this lawsuit against Nancy Pelosi. So sit back and listen to this one. It is a fascinating conversation. Uh, but first, big thanks to the folks who m- helped make 200 episodes of the Disruption Zone possible. A big thanks to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for helping us get to episode 200. Look, it's been a work ethic thing to get this podcast to 200 episodes, and that is why I love Tim Montgomery so much, because of his work ethic with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. You want a, you want a job like your kitchen remodel done right, and that is the approach that Tim and his designers are going to take. First, they're going to figure out what it is that that makes you tick, what it is in a kitchen that you really want, what it is that will make you happy to be in your home. And then they're going to implement that step by step. If you want to do a turnkey kitchen remodel, they got your back. If you already know what you want and you don't need the turn kitchen stuff, you have a con or you're, you are a contractor or you are a do it yourselfer. Man, you just go to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops and pick up your cabinets because despite despite supply line problems around the world, that's not the case with them. They have amazing cabinets in stock, high quality, every style you can imagine. They're at 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville, Kentucky. If you're in southern Indiana, if you're in Louisville, if you're in Oldham County, this is your place. Give them a call, 502-930-3304, 502-930-3304, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. All right, let's get in our conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey. <laughs> Sorry, I'm recording. Um, yeah, so yeah. this is how you're avoiding the uh, crazy travel restrictions is by uh, just driving instead of flying. Yes, I am. I, I've actually gone uh, until until yesterday. I went five months without wearing a mask. Um, five months. Well, I probably went maybe four or four and a half months until last night when I tried to chop my thumb off and I had to choose between wearing a mask or bleeding <laughs> out. And I, I chose my battle and my battle was to not bleed out. So, but you know, my battle was <clears throat> whether to show up in the courtroom to sue Nancy Pelosi or to go without wearing a mask. Well, did you show up? 
I showed up. I put the mask on and I showed up. And uh. a, reporter, a reporter said, now, why did you wear a mask here where the judge requires it, but you wouldn't wear a mask where Pelosi requires it? And I said, well, I'm going to assume this judge isn't a hypocrite. I'm going to assume this judge uh, be, would behave the same way in a swanky restaurant or a high dollar fundraiser as, <laughs> as Pelosi does, as he would in his workplace, right. <laughs> where she does not. Right, where she does not. Uh, I, I'm assuming that he, he he wouldn't force open a uh, salon hair salon to get his hair done <laughs> when every other right. business in town is forced to shut down, uh, and so on and so forth. So yeah, no. Um, well, welcome. I, I, I want to talk about that and some other things. This is the 200th episode of uh, The Disruption Zone. It's kind of weird because it started as a little project that Cameron Mills and I just wanted to do on the side. And it's become something that literally thousands of people listen to every week. And I, I can't believe that. It's fascinating to me and it's fun. And I appreciate the fact that you've been a big part of that because every time you come on and then you retweet the episode. I get tons of secondhand hate, but I also get we also get a lot of downloads. So I mean, nice. hey, we'll take that because I'm sure there's people want to hear what you have to say, so they can cut little snippets out of it out of context. So yeah, those those are CN, that's CNN and the liberal yeah. media trying to find something to use against me, and we give them a target rich environment when I come on your show for sure. I I think I was probably on one of your first dozen podcasts i remember going to the studio there you were you Cameron. i believe yeah. you were guest number two um number our very first guest was my friend dana pounds who was mm-hmm. uh an olympic athlete and um tragically lost her husband in afghanistan the two of them were serving in afghanistan at the same time and um he was about 13 miles away and they had not seen each other in almost two years of that deployment and they got the chance to see each other on Christmas Day and on Christmas Day he was asked to help escort a convoy back to the other base 13 miles away and an IED bomb took him away from us oh so my gosh. but she's wow. a fantastic woman and a powerful Christian and a powerful message of recovery and finding God's will in your life and going through grief and stuff so, so that was a pretty awesome opening episode, and I would say you were pretty awesome too because we spent an hour and a half talking about your green farm. <laughs> so, yes, and your Tesla wall it was pretty fun. So, um, my homebrew homebrew Tesla wall. Yeah. I don't want anybody to think I bought one. I built one no. from a wrecked Model S. Yeah, I love that story. People actually, that podcast obviously all of them are still up, so you can go back and listen to that if anybody wants to go hear about your Tesla wall because that was a fascinating I, conversation. I forget how I built it. It's been running for three years. I need to go back and listen to it to see what I was thinking. And does it still hold? Does it still hold the charge? Yeah, it's just it just keeps on going. So compared uh, to the solid state batteries that you were using, the old school car battery type, uh, would you have had to replace all those batteries by now in three years? Oh. So the first set of lead-acid batteries, I had only had one set. They lasted 11 years, and mm. at the end, they were really sucking wind. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I was squeezing every electron out of them every day, and the generator would kick on. Um, they could barely make it through the night. These batteries, the, the Tesla lithium batteries, are just so insanely better than the lead acid batteries. This it's not even 
does, appropriate to compare them. So does that mean that Tesla electric vehicles, maybe I can't say the same for other brands that are out there, but Tesla's EVs aren't going to be like our iPhones where after we've used them for a year, they don't hold a charge? <laughs> well, uh, let me qualify that. In my, This seems counterintuitive, but a house uses less power than a car. Okay, because you drive a Tesla also. Yes, I okay. drive a Tesla. So uh, when I mash the <clears throat> the accelerator on my Tesla, you can't call it a gas pedal, I guess, but when I mash the accelerator, I'm probably using 300 kilowatts sometimes. Wow. Okay. Um, in my household, the most I ever use is 15 kilowatts. Okay. Wow. So the car, when it's accelerating at its peak is 20 times uses 20 times more power than a household my household does as it, at its peak doesn't that shouldn't that be a lesson to people that are pushing us all to be driving EVs as to how yeah. overtaxed yeah. the power grid will be when we are all driving them uh yes 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 uh yes i have a friend who works for a power company i won't name which one and i won't name where he lives but it might be, well, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. And he said that he did the math on it. He looked at the number of power, the amount of power being pulled out of his own neighborhood, just the grid that his neighborhood was on. And he said if 25% of the people in his neighborhood switched to EVs all, all at the same time and had to plug them in their own homes at night, he said that they would have to rebuild that grid. The, the, the drastic change in power draw from that, they would have Let to me rebuild the grid. Let me put it this way, and I'm, I hadn't really thought about it until we just started discussing it, but that 85-kilowatt-hour battery out of a wrecked Model S Tesla that's in my basement um, will run the house for three days. Wow. Um, it would run the car uh, for maybe three hours. Wow. <laughs> wow. And... Your house is over 4,000 square feet, so we're not talking about a tiny house. Yeah. Right? yeah. Now, now uh, let me qualify that. That's if I'm not running the air conditioner or the heat pump. It, or you know, So if I run the AC or the heat pump for heat, it would run the house for one day. Okay. But that's still eight times longer than still, it yeah. would run the car. That's pretty insane. And so the – the idea that we're going to just switch shift to that when wind and solar is the only alternative to fossil fuels, basically. I mean, there's, there's hydropower, there's nuclear power, which is a great alternative to fossil fuels, but the left doesn't want to use it. So we're stuck with wind and power, wind and solar, which are only going to be capable of generating 20% of the overall power demand based on current demand status in 20 years from now. That That's ludicrous to not have a transition plan. Well, um, but let me let me throw something else out there, though. Uh, you if you if you architected the car so that the battery became part of the grid when you plugged it in. Right. That could be complementary to solar and wind. Uh, it could accumulate power when it, there's excess, because this is what I do with my. So I've got a wrecked Model S Tesla battery in my basement and I've got an an unwrecked Tesla Model S in my garage. Right. And when the, the, my homebrew power wall, which is the wrecked battery in the house gets full, 
I've got a solid state relay in my big breaker box that turns on and provides 240 volts to the outlet that charges my Tesla Model S that is in the garage, the drivable Model S that's not wrecked. Okay. So because I live off the grid and um, sometimes I have more power than I can use, than I can store in my house battery, so I dump it in the car battery. What would be really, really awesome. I haven't, I have not uh, jailbroken or whatever you call it, my Tesla yet to the degree that I could pull the power out of the car. That would be fascinating. But then you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. If we, if we hooked everybody's cars up to be like, sometimes I can't go to the grocery store today. My car is being, uh, is you being used to uh, supplement the windmill down the street? But that is my life anyway. (laughs) Yeah, but we're talking about normal people here, Congressman Massey. (laughs) My my wife, so my wife sometimes has the choice between running the air conditioner or plugging in the the car. Right. She inevitably chooses the air conditioner. So would I. And and I guarantee you every American would do that. You know, most Americans would do that. And um, ironically... Again, I'm an optimist. I'm all of the above, but energy, but I'm driving her expedition right now. I'm parked in West Virginia, driving back from D.C. Right. And the reason I'm driving her expedition instead of my Tesla is because now I'm driving every week to D.C. and back because I refuse to fly and wear the mask. (laughs) Full circle. And, And the and the. Uh, the Tesla, I have to stop at least twice and charge for at least an hour each time. And that adds two hours to an otherwise pretty long trip. Right. Whereas this podcast is only going to add an hour to my trip. (laughs) Well, and if you had your Tesla, you could be stopped at a charging station and you could be almost done by the time you were done. Meanwhile, I'll be gassing up my uh, big Ford truck in about five minutes and see ya. I'm back on the road. So, um, but speaking of uh, avoiding Nancy Pelosi's uh, or dealing with Nancy Pelosi's mask mandate, you guys are suing her and the lawyer that you're using to sue her is one of the top lawyers for vaccine injuries in the country and um you am i getting that correct over the that's correct now yeah so we've got three lawyers on our case um the lead lawyer is from kentucky who has sued our governor at least twice and won both you know one at least twice sweet that's good record uh he's the one who sued our governor when he shut the churches down in kentucky and, and that case is already cited by the Supreme Court. So that's pretty significant. So that's our lead lawyer. His name's Chris Weiss. And then he brought on another lawyer from California. His name is Aaron Siri, who is the foremost, I mean, one of the foremost uh, vaccine injury lawyers. Now, we're not claiming vaccine injury no, but in he, our case. Yeah. But he's he's a sharp lawyer and he knows his way around this stuff just like uh our lead lawyer knows his way around these covid shutdowns and these mandates that he uh, you know the aaron siri knows his way around the vaccine stuff and so what aaron siri did not for our case but for another case and this you can go on twitter and find this or substack he did a freedom of information act on the cdc and said, can you send me all your documented cases, all your documentation 
where you've where you've uh, documented somebody who's had COVID, recovered, developed natural immunity, and then gone on to spread the disease to somebody. And the CDC responded to his FOIA request with the, a letter that says, we, we have no documentation of that ever occurring. <laughs> now, and we're talking with Congressman Thomas Massey. Now, is that because they just haven't studied it or because it hasn't happened? Either way. Either way. Well, my suspicion not. is that it doesn't ever happen, uh, or it, hardly ever, because I think natural immunity is the strongest immunity that we can have. It's but, the strongest immunity. It's what you're trying to emulate, right? With the vaccine, with vaccine immunity, and and you get part of the way there, but you don't develop, for instance, with these uh, with the vaccines that don't use the a killed virus, right? With the ones that are just uh, operating on the spike. Uh, you don't get the antibodies that work on other parts of the virus. Because like isn't, the, isn't that what's kind of interesting about like the flu vaccine uh, is usually about 60, somewhere between 40 and 60 percent effective. And the reason for that is because they use a dead vaccine or virus strain and they often miss the target on which strain is going to be prevalent. But when they hit the target, it's extremely effective at preventing the, the virus because they got you know, it's live, it's the actual virus that your body is learning how to fight. Yeah. I've never had a flu vaccine. Well, I've, I've only had one and once. And I, I got the flu when I got it. So I've never had it. They don't since, call but. them flu vaccines. They call them flu shots. Flu shots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and I'm, and again, sometimes when I get on your podcast, things occur to me that have never occurred to me. <laughs> uh, why is it? that the flu vaccine is so hit or miss when the strains probably aren't that different from each other yet we've got this COVID vaccine that supposedly works, you know, on all the strains. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Seems interesting. Yeah. And we have this new version, this Omicron uh, or Omnicron is as, as uh, president Biden likes to call it. And the doctor who basically revealed this to the world wrote an op-ed saying I am I was I didn't mean to do this to everybody essentially like I'm sorry that the world freaked out because she was like look these are this is a very mild case and it actually may be a very positive viral step towards herd immunity because it's mild and that mean and it's very contagious which is what viruses tend to do which means it'll go through society quickly and then we'll have even better natural immunity from people having caught this and maybe not done so badly as as previous versions of it you know, that's what that's the hope. That's that's like one of the hopeful ends for this whole thing. Uh, by the way, with all these strains, I, I developed and published. It's peer reviewed on Twitter. Uh, lots of trolls have reviewed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Considered to be my peers. So um, this I've got a peer reviewed guide to all the strains and how to avoid them based on the weakness that each strain possesses. You okay. remember the. The alpha strain would uh, it only attacks you while you're in route to your table in the restaurant. <laughs> now, the, the delta strain is inactive during the day, but activates after the curfew comes into place. The omni or the omicron omicron uh, strain it it spreads, but it only spreads through border checkpoints that are manned. Right, right. <laughs> it will not cross the southern border. It, and then finally, if you remember the original strain, 
it it spreads on the floor of the house, right. but it will not spread at a high dollar fundraiser or swanky <laughs> restaurant. Right. So as long as I don't go to the floor of the house. Right. So <laughs> make sure you carry my Twitter guide to those various strains if you want to avoid them. Yeah, I, I'm definitely using that a hundred percent. Um <laughs> There was a question I was going to ask you, and then you distracted me with that because that's pretty funny. I don't uh, know, but well, there were, I came on your show to talk about my lawsuit for Pelosi, and you've distracted me. For I know, I know. Sorry. Okay, so you're suing her, and the I guess yes. I guess the other side will ask why. Why are you suing her over this mask mandate? Why not just friggin' mask up, Massey? Well, first of all, anytime you can get a case published on a court docket that has your name versus Nancy Pelosi's name. It's this this case is literally Massey v. Pelosi. I love it. I love okay, it. if I don't know if she had untied my shoes or something on the floor of the house, I would probably try to get a Massey v. Pelosi. No, <laughs> it all all seriousness. The case is is called Massey v. Pelosi. The plaintiffs are myself, Ralph Norman, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. We all have standing. Uh, I've got $500 of standing. Ralph has $500 of standing. And Marjorie Taylor Greene has $68,000 of standing. Whoa. Wait a minute. In other words, that's the uh, total of the fines that have been. How uh, did you only get 500 if you're never wearing a mask? And how did she get 68000 Because uh, my first violation was blatant uh, and notorious. And all of <laughs> that was when you and, took people to the spot of the yeah, Senate I got 10, to get I try to get people arrested. Yeah. I, I'm actually responsible for five thousand dollars of fines that day. <laughs> Only five hundred came out of my paycheck, but I I decided here. Okay, let me back up because it's a good place to start. The day where I convinced ten of my colleagues to show up during a vote series where we knew the C-SPAN camera would be pointed at the well of the house and to go down there and openly defy her mask mandate. That was in June. And the reason we had done it in June, two reasons. One, the CDC said you didn't need to wear a mask, right? We were, remember, if If you'd been been vaccinated, you didn't need a mask. Right. And I, I identify as vaccinated (laughs) because I've already had the virus. I literally I have one of those shirts that say I identify as vaccinated. <laughs> okay. And I wore it this summer on vacation and all oh, like I got some looks. I but anyways. Um remember the CDC was lifting the mask restrictions and um and Pelosi said in a news conference, they said, well, when will you quit wearing the masks on the floor of the house? Because CDC has said you you don't have to wear them in these other places. And she said, we will not quit wearing the mask until every single member of Congress is vaccinated. Mm. And I said, whoa, this mask mandate is morphing into a vaccine mandate. Yep. And just like she's just like every other tyrant, they reward your compliance with more tyranny. Yeah. And um, at that point, I was like, all right, I'm getting off the crazy train. I'm not complying because she the more we comply, the more she'll be a tyrant. So uh, we went down there. We went without masks. She fined us. But here's where and then um, she ran afoul of the Constitution within a few days. 
she um, reduced our compensation. She didn't mail a, uh, a bill to Kentucky, you know, to my mailbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't even like call up the sheriff and ask him to go take it out of the bank account in Kentucky. She just docked your pay. She docked my pay. Okay. And this is, so there's four planks of our lawsuit and we have three defendants that we've named. So we've, there's like 12 ways we can win. <laughs> right. That's, you, you, okay. It's kind of like playing, it's doing the horse races here. You've, you've got a trifecta bet going on. That's right. <laughs> but we, we only need to win one. You only need to win to one win. instead of having to win all three. Yeah, I got you. Right. I don't have to win all 12. I've right. just got to win one. Right. So the three, let me go through the three defendants. The three defendants are Nancy Pelosi is the first defendant. The sergeant at arms, which is her muscle. This is the, the civilian who is carrying out this unconstitutional act. Uh, they are part of the illegal activity. Okay. And then the chief administrative officer of the house, who is the one who took the money out of the paycheck. Okay. Okay. These are the three defendants. And so let me, and so we've got four planks of the lawsuit and let let me, if you want to get into the two of the planks, we can, but I'll talk about the strongest two first. I'll lead with my strongest point. The 27th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says that no law shall pass that varies uh, or no no law shall go into effect that varies the compensation of a congressman without an intervening election. What that means is you can't pay give yourselves a raise or pay cut. Right. Um, right. Until so, after the next election, meaning it gives the people the ability to say yay or nay to what you have done. Is that's that right. I, I could vote to give a raise to the congressman from Kentucky's fourth district. OK, but it's not going to kick in until there's another election, at which point I might not be the congressman for Kentucky's right. fourth district. Right. And because uh, people might be mad at me for raising my own salary. Right. But that's not the okay. But you get to use the clear, the exact when you when you read a law and especially uh, the Constitution, you have to take words at their meaning. Mm -hmm. And we got the Pelosi's lawyer to at least concede this in our oral oral arguments yesterday. It it stops you not just from raising somebody's pay, but from reducing somebody's pay. Because the word says very. Yeah, the word they yeah that's right. Vary. That's a very good point. It, it, V-A-R-Y. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. And so you And this amendment is 27th. It's kind of late in the game, right? It's yeah. 1992. This amendment was ratified. It was introduced at the same time the Bill of Rights was introduced. There were actually 12 proposals when the bill of rights were introduced and only 10 of them made it. What was the 11th one? It was something to do about apportionment. And if it had passed, we'd have 6,000 6, us representatives. Oh, okay. I think. okay. <laughs> Gee, oh my gosh. I feel like the empire <laughs> so, in, in, in star Wars. 
that one's not likely to get ratified here in the next decade. Yeah, I don't think so. But I mean, but, your point is that that Nancy can't say, "Oh, that was the original framers, and time has moved on." This this is in the last you know forty years that this amendment has been ratified. So, well, it's been it's not just that. I mean, the Constitution doesn't expire, right? But the the reason, and I, and I think by the way, I think I'm right about the twelfth one. But you know, people at home, please check my homework and put some angry comments on Leland's podcast. Yeah, please, by all means, by all means. (laughs) Anyways, the, the reason I'm telling you that it was introduced at the bill of rights is there, there's um, discussion from back then. We can go and and draw from the history and look at what they were thinking when they introduced this. In fact, I think it's federalist 79 where Hamilton talks about a, a person's pay is their sustenance. And if you can, and if you can manipulate your, their pay, then you can bend them to your will. Mm-hmm. And isn't and that, so, isn't that what's being done nationally with the vaccine mandate in a lot yes, of ways? Yes. Which is okay. And people all right. this is another important point. I know this lawsuit is about trying to keep members. If, if you looked at it cynically, you would say this lawsuit is about some congressmen trying not to get a pay cut right and i'm not very sympathetic to that right okay right that is that's just the legal thing in front of us uh the reason we're fighting this is we've got all these petty tyrants across the united states and across the globe frankly but they're following the example of the big tyrants and the big tyrants are joe biden and nancy pelosi and so we we are uniquely situated with standing in this case to take Nancy Pelosi to court and to stop her from setting this example. And we embarked on this in June before there were any mandates. I love because this. We, we saw it coming. We saw the mask mandate morphing into a vaccine mandate and we saw they were going to use your pay right. to do it. Yeah. They, and they and they weren't they, they they tried to call us conspiracy theories theorists i'm talking with congressman thomas massey they tried to call us conspiracy theorists because uh oh you just put on your mask just put on your mask no one's taking your freedom away just put on your mask and the next thing you know is like put on your second mask no one's taking your freedom away put on your third mask no one's taking your freedom away and then it's get your vaccine get your booster put your mask back on after your vaccine and your booster and people are like falling in line with this here's the best one i just i just heard this on the radio this morning and it, then it was, oh, you get if you if you're wearing a mask and you've been vaccinated, you don't have to take the weekly test. <laughs> well, guess what? Joe Biden's testing everyone now at the border, yeah. whether you're vaccinated or not. Yeah. So you don't even get out of the test anymore. Yeah. And he's proposing that if somebody in your kid's class gets covid, <laughs> that your kid has to come in and take a daily test to make sure they didn't get it, too, or they get sent home. It's it's <laughs> absurd. Um. So go ahead. Uh, all right. So so um, 27th Amendment pay cannot uh, the, the compensation cannot vary. Without an intervening election. OK. The the rule that instituted this fine passed this Congress and the fine is being exacted this Congress. But the the manner in which she's collecting the money is she's just directly reducing our salary so if you're mrs massey back in garrison kentucky and you go to the mailbox and open it up to to get the paycheck 
<laughs> I've never seen my paycheck, by the way, but she has. <laughs> she can, and and she opens it up, and she's been opening it for eight years, and it's been the same. It looks different one day. Well, the the compensation's been reduced. Right. There's no. It's semantics. Pelosi's lawyers are now. Uh, they're reduced to on this point. By the way, she filed a motion to dismiss, and that's what we uh, what the judge heard oral arguments. Reggie Walton is the judge. He's a judge who convicted Scooter Libby, hmm. uh, but he's in the. Uh, although uh, he also uh, found for some model rocket club over the objections of the ATF, you know, we're trying to say their propellant was explosives or oh, something. Okay. So I went and looked at some of these cases. He's a Bush appointee, but the, the, the argument, uh, the oral arguments yesterday were about Nancy Pelosi's motion to dismiss and the, and against our strongest, what I believe is our strongest point, which is the 27th amendment. They are reduced to two semantic arguments, three and, and then one preposterous uh, argument against this point. So number one, they say, well, that's a fine. That's and so that doesn't count as a reduction in compensation. Okay, that so that's semantics. But look, you could call anything a fine and cut it to zero. Uh, you could reduce well, somebody's I, salary to zero. I got, and, I got pulled and over. Taylor Green's salary is going to be zero pretty soon. I got pulled over by the Colorado State Troopers and I got a ticket about mm-hmm. six months ago. The Colorado State Troopers cannot, the DMV cannot, the governor of the state of Colorado or Kentucky or whatever other state cannot go into my paycheck. No. And take the money they, out for that fine. No, I, they, they had to take it when I sent it to them. Right. And, and by the way, there's no... There's no statutory authority anywhere for Pelosi to go collect this. So the reason she's reducing our compensation is she has no collection method otherwise. Okay. By the way, here uh, there's so many aspects to this case, but here's remind me to tell you about the steepest hill we have to climb, which is the speech and debate immunity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're saying it wasn't a reduction in compensation, but, you know, I think at some point, maybe not this judge, I hopefully this judge, he seems to be, you know, he he seems to have got it. But if not this judge or the next judge, then surely the Supreme Court is going to look at this and say, come on, this is a, a, you know, if they can call Obamacare a tax, they can call this a reduction in pay. Anyways. So, well, but then maybe that you got you got to be careful of Justice Roberts. Roberts might be like, no, that's a fine. You can find people by taking money out of their check. That's cool. <laughs> so they may call I mean, what, whatever Pelosi's got on well, him. She just whips that out and says, hey, you remember this, buddy? Right. We, we may go to Supreme Court and Roberts will call it a tax. Right. And not a fine. There you go. Not a, yeah, he'll just not cha- a let me let me change the definition for you there, Pelosi, because you know after all you haven't read it, so you don't know what's in your own lawsuit anyway. So, but I can't. I do not. Let me be clear: if uh, the Supreme Court is ever listening to this podcast, <laughs> I'm not disparaging any of the very noble and very just, no- yes, very noble and, and, and just wise. justices <laughs> okay. on this court. Uh, <laughs> I would never do that. Did you know? 
you're going to get in trouble when you come on here with me. I'm sorry. I know. Somebody's <laughs> going to extract this and send it to the Supreme Court. Um, okay. So here's the other semantic thing they're doing. The 27th Amendment says that no, no law can vary the salary. Okay. Well, Pelosi didn't pass a law. So they're saying because it wasn't a law that's reducing our salary that it the 27th amendment it's, doesn't it's apply. Got, yeah, there's no way that they can get around this. I don't I, I think you have a Loctite case. No, well, let me let me tell you why that semantic argument is wrong. First of all, the first amendment says Congress shall make no law, right? Right. Abridging free speech blah blah blah. Well, that also covers regulations and statutes and like just because it says law, it doesn't mean it's it's limited to, you know, something that's a law, but but not apply to something that has the force of law that may be a derivative of right, a law. Right. OK, but here's the other problem with their argument trying to uh, take the 27th Amendment out because it uses the word law. In the base text of the Constitution, it says that our compensation for services, the members of Congress, shall be set by law and drawn from the Treasury. Right. Okay. So why did why did they say drawn from the Treasury? Well, there was some debate that whether it should be drawn from the U.S. Treasury or whether the states should pay for their own congressmen. Oh, okay. And and what they were concerned about was that. Uh, well, the states could um, use that paycheck to influence congressmen, right? Right. So they wanted the congressmen not to be the, – the representatives not to be – have their will bent by the, the states. So they said, okay, we're paid out of the treasury, but it's going to be set by law because we can't just let the congress you know, make their own salaries. So – it's got but when it says by law in that context either they like the pelosi's lawyers have to adopt one or they have to adopt some definition of law so if they adopt a strict definition of law then they go to the base constitution where it says our salaries are set by law which means the senate has to agree and the president has to sign it a law is passed in both chambers and signed by the president if that's the definition they want to go, like the strict version of law, then they've then Pelosi has violated the base constitution. Yeah. There, by the so, way, not to interrupt, but there's just there's a whole sub thread of what your what this conversation is to me that's fascinating. In that, as battered and bruised as our founding fathers are amongst current supposed intellectuals, and as flawed a men as they were. The level of clear thinking in how they structured our government is still stunning to me. The, the idea that they said, well, we don't want the states to pay these guys because that might in, the, the states might use it to unduly influence their independent thinking. No one would ever even think of that oh. today because things are so oh. corrupt at this point. It's just stunning that they were able to think so clearly in such tumultuous times. Well, they had well-read, bright, motivated individuals who were at adverse positions to each other and debating yeah and they weren't being censored 
like on Facebook or Twitter, right? right? Even the bad ideas got to be discussed at the convention. But you said well-read, and that's the thing. It's hard for me to think that uh, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have ever read anything other than talking points straight from whatever organization is running her campaigns. You know, these, these are not well-read people. These are not intelligent people that are running our country right now. Even Nancy Pelosi so, is, is not, a, I don't think she's an intelligent person in the way that she's going about this. Or maybe she is, so, but she's just tyrannical and, and whether or not something is well thought out doesn't matter to her. I could go so many places with that, but I want to get back to the lawsuit. Okay. All right. <laughs> maybe we just represent the I, people. It, it, yeah, exactly. Maybe? Okay. So, um, uh, so they get the semantic thing on on the Twenty Seventh Amendment. So here's, so we I think we got them blocked. By the way, our lawyer said to the judge, "Well, let's go to Article Three of the Constitution, which says your salary can't be messed with." Oh, <laughs> That's, I brought it up to the judge. Like, what if? Yeah, he said, "What if every time you somebody thought you made a bad ruling, you're you're." Uh, you were fined a thousand dollars and it was taken out of your paycheck. Which of your lawyers brought that up? Chris Weiss. That's and, awesome. And before we went in there, I thought, dude, that's a gimmick. That's not, you know, I don't think that's going to be compelling. When he said that, the judge paid a lot of attention. Like it seemed, it seemed to resonate. I don't think it's judge. gimmicky. I think, I think it's spot on. I mean, I think it's, it's I think it's right there at the. It, it's a home point. I mean, it's like. Look, the point is she's trying to manipulate your salary to manipulate you stand yep. you stand representing your constituents, which if I know the fourth district of Kentucky is most mostly against these mandates, and right. she's trying to manipulate you into behaving in a way your constituents probably don't want you to behave. Correct. That by the way, that's compelled speech. That's a first amendment yes. point. And we make that that's like the third or fourth plank of our four arguments okay so you're right and she was using she's trying to use money to compel it now here let me get to the toughest nut to crack in any lawsuit brought from one congressman on another congressman the toughest thing to crack even this is a, a tough nut to crack for anybody who tries to sue a congressman for instance or anybody that tries to convict a congressman has to overcome legislative immunity, the speech and debate clause. So the Constitution says that we, we won't be called to answer for something we say on the floor of the House. In other words, I could I could stand on the floor of the House and slander Leland Conway. Mm -hmm. I could tell them the worst lies about you. And they could be provable lies. Mm -hmm. And you cannot sue me for slander, libel, or defamation. Right. Okay. It just you can't do it. Because the speech, the, the founding fathers decided that speech was so important that it was better to let us say things that are wrong and to say things that are hurtful than it was to let anybody try to censor it. Mm-hmm. And also, they had historical precedents where the king would <laughs> drag people out of parliament, you know. Right. Well, and, yeah. and, and there's also mechanisms to punish that kind of stuff outside of 
You yeah. know, you can censor somebody or uh, uh, censure someone. You yes. know, you can do those kinds of things. You can remove well, but, them from their legislative perches if you want. Right, so. but that would be, and but that has to be uh, the the body, the body on right. the member. Exactly. So, uh, well, and then that, that. So, and that's so. Here's the problem. Also, our activity is considered. Uh, protected as long as it's in the pursuit of legislative you know outcomes Mm -hmm. not just our speech and so what the pelosi's lawyers are claiming is that uh she's immune to our our lawsuit because she's covered under speech and debate and they're trying to they're trying to also apply that to the sergeant at arms and the chief administrative officer of the house Here's the problem. We have we we cited precedents, cases where the sergeant at arms, for instance, there's one case and I'm not a lawyer and I don't you know, this is why I've got a lawyer representing me, because he's got all these in the front of his brain. But there's a case where the sergeant at arms went out and arrested somebody. And um, he was acting on a illegal directive Mm -hmm. and he was not protected by speech and debate. There's another case where some staff were keeping member, a member of Congress from entering the chamber, a duly elected member from their state. And they weren't protected by speech and debate. Well, and, and, and I would say that, that, that this does just to add into this, she, her, her statements or whatever she, you know, this position that she has, has direct effect on other duly elected officials without the power of law. So I don't think she can squirm out of it using this. Well, she can have direct effect. Like, here's what the court will argue. They'll say, well, you know what? If she was a tyrant, you guys elected her. It's your fault. Go elect a different person that will be more fair. Okay. So the court, there is a lot of precedent on the on Pelosi's side of this case. I don't think it reads or, or applies to her case, but there's a there they presented a lot of precedent where courts, not just random courts, but the DC courts, because they always, that's where the jurisdiction is. Where court, the circuit court, which is higher than this district court. And, and so a district court can't overturn a circuit court decision. And now whether these are equivalent decisions or not, there's just a lot of them. And so the Pelosi's lawyer cited a whole bunch of stuff. And said, Judge, you may agree with the plaintiffs, but you can't rule for them because you can't overrule the D.C. Circuit Court because you're a district judge. And here's all these things that that apply to this case. And the judge said something which I didn't appreciate at the time. And the lawyers told me later on it was important (laughs) after we left the courtroom. He said, this is a case of first impression. And that what? means that means this case has never been tried before. Uh, you're showing me you're showing me examples that, you know, don't apply. I might take, I might take a look at them, but no, those those don't conclude this case. This case has different things in it than those cases. Yeah. And, and at that point, the judge also committed to writing a long decision like. Yesterday, he didn't rule from the bench for us or the defendants. He said, I'll try to get this done within 30 days. Hmm. 
Which means uh, he's going to think about this pretty long and hard. And he's got to ride it up. By the way, this same judge is is uh, officiating over trials on the January sixth, folks. And okay. Like he is, he is crammed. He has got so much work to do. Right. And you know, and stuff's backed up because of COVID. So the fact that he's going to take time to do this, I mean, because he knows it's going to get a thorough review. It's going to get appealed. Right. I don't, I don't want to ruin the story for everybody. It's going to get appealed. The second he issues his decision, right. either one of the, our, either us or Pelosi is not going to be satisfied with the result, either we or Pelosi. So, um, let's see, what were we talking? Well, I, I, I <laughs> oh, want to. Oh, a... legislative immunity. Let me let me finish this real quick. All right. So, uh, Pelosi's lawyer said it's absolute, and that and that we have no, we have nothing we can do here. Well, that that that, that insinuates that she could she could theoretically <clears throat> pull out a sword and stab you on the House floor and would be immune from it. That's dumb. <laughs> that is what it suggests. And so our attorney said, you know, your honor, uh, Speaker Pelosi cannot erect a gallows in the House <laughs> and, and hang members for for not following the rules. Right. Like there are limits. Right. That would be a violation of the Eighth Amendment, right? Right. Cruel and unusual punishment. Right. Which I would say docking your paycheck could be too. I mean, you guys are all rich, well, but <laughs> Well, so it, it, she's clearly bound. We right. believe she's bound by the base text of the Constitution and the 27th Amendment. By the way, the Constitution says that each chamber makes its own rules and it also says that we can be punished for disorderly conduct. Right. right. Okay. Uh, when one of one of the four one of our four points is look, we weren't disorderly. Go look at the video. Right. We they were passing bills while we stood there. We yeah. didn't. You didn't we stop didn't. anybody from doing anything. Right. So, but then that that centers on that's a judgment call on what the definition of disorderly is and so they we had like four dictionaries out in this courtroom but um but i think our strongest case is the 27th amendment and the base text they're, they're arguing legislative immunity i don't think that's going to fly because it's not absolute you can't violate the constitution i think the judge has got a real uh, interesting thing here to deal so with. to summarize all this the importance of this case is not that you're quibbling over a mask you're quibbling over tyranny yes tyranny and a violation of the constitution i you know i can think of a thousand things i'd like to sue pelosi over but the legal framework doesn't exist um there, it turns out my constituents have more standing to sue her than I do. Right. Uh, and this is because she has extracted five hundred dollars from my paycheck. I have the I have the ability to bring this lawsuit. Right. It costs. By the way, it costs a lot more than five hundred dollars, and we are spending private who, money. Who is paying for that? Uh, just out of curiosity. So we uh, on our side. The uh, the lawyer is taking it in the hopes that he will win and can get paid by the government. Okay, gotcha. And we are, but we are paying expenses, which they are very expensive. So the taxpayers are not funding your so side of this we are, case. We are paying expenses out of uh, campaign fees or okay. campaign 
donations. Is that and that's allowed? That is legal, or I wouldn't be telling you on this right. podcast. Right, yeah, right, and it, right. And it and it wouldn't be on my FEC report. Well, but <laughs> but it is. but you're standing against tyranny, which is what your constituents want you to do, and therefore the money that your constituents have given to you, donated to your campaign, is actually directly helping to fight against tyranny. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Correct. So, now, now Nancy Pelosi is using your yeah, tax of dollars. Course, of course, she's. She's got the best lawyers your dollars can buy. Yeah. This is this is David versus Goliath. When right. she's third in line for president, she's right. got good lawyers. Right. And we've we've got a guy from Kentucky and a vaccine lawyer, you right. know, two right. guys from Kentucky. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you're in pretty good hands though. I'm I'm running out of drive space, believe yeah. it or not. And it is one other topic I wanted to talk to you about. Well, a couple quick things. One, I wanted to get your thoughts on um uh Dr. Fauci saying that if you criticize him, you're criticizing science. What was your reaction when he doubled down on that and said that for a second time to the media and the media didn't challenge him? Uh, I think you probably saw my tweet on this where I uh, I said, well, Fauci can be science and I'll be the master of science. And I posted my master of science degree <laughs> from MIT. Yeah. The, the fun thing about my Unlike my undergraduate degree, my undergraduate degree says Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering and my ma- from MIT and my master's degree just says Master of Science. It like doesn't it. say it's not qualified on there. He's he's Massey, the science guy. <laughs> I'm like, I just put that on there. I'm the master of science. Every time he says he's the science. I post that and I say, I'm the master of science. It's just, it's, a, it's absurd to think that one person can represent science. That he, he's, at, he's reached the height <laughs> of hubris. And my theory is that he knows that his, the division that he runs is responsible for funding the engineering of this virus that was accidentally released um, from the Wuhan lab in China and that these deaths lay at his feet. And the longer he can talk about triple masking and masking up and calling himself the science and doing all these things, the longer he can do that, the less the media is paying attention to the real story here. And that is that we brought this upon ourselves. Right. And and if you could insert into your podcast, the 32nd clip of Peter Daszak in 2016, I have it. Okay. If you could insert that here, I will. And uh, that to me is a smoking gun. He talks about uh, coronaviruses that they've collected from bats, uh, making fake versions of them that are stronger, uh, looking at the spikes and the proteins on it. And uh, to me, that is if that's not a smoking gun, I don't know what is. Right. And that was in 2016. So, um yeah, I mean, for him to say, I am the science, that that's not only hubristic, but it's also defensive to the point that let's, there's some smoke here. Let's see where the fire is. Yeah, let's be clear. He is the science at the Wuhan lab, and he is not the science of natural right. immunity. Right. Right. He's he is a science. He has funded some science. And we know what that is. By the way, my analogy for what what they were doing there is they said, you know what? We want to work on a fire extinguisher, but we got to invent some matches that burn really hot and catch stuff on fire and make fires that are really hard to put out. Right. So we're going to work on the matches. Right. And then, okay, so what happens? A fire breaks out. We have a hard time putting it out. And the guys who are supposed to be building the fire extinguishers are hiding their matches. Right. Like, <laughs> like 
they should have been running to the fire. They should be like, oh, we've studied this right. for 10 years. We know all about SARS-like coronaviruses in bats. We'll, we, we'll, we're right there. We're Johnny on the spot, and we can put this fire out because we've been working on fire extinguishers. Well, no, the, theoretically, yeah. they kind of did because we got a vaccine in less than a year, which has never been done before, um, although it's we got more of a therapeutic. Something. Yes, in less than a vaccine. Than a year. But and and I'm I'm not sure that I, I it, it to me it feels like whatever they were building got out before they were ready for let, it. You know what I mean? Let, let, let's be clear, the mRNA. They've been working on it for twenty years. Yeah, more. Yeah. Like the uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who's one of the inventors, who's uh, prominent on social media with the counter narrative. He su- he suggested this like over 20 years ago. He's listed on the patent and he's very skeptical of the mRNA vaccines. But what we got was we got approval in less than a year yeah, for something true. that that had been around, maybe not the specific formulation. Right. That's a good point. Um, one other issue I wanted to take up with you before I let you go back to uh, your drive there back to D.C., um, no, I'm going to Kentucky. <laughs> oh, you're going the other way. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. You're leaving hell and going to heaven. I got it. Um, yes. So, no, actually, I'm in West Virginia. And do you know why they call it almost heaven? Because it's almost a Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. It borders Kentucky. I'm just saying. Um, all right. So, this other thing I wanted to talk to you about was HRB, Bipartisan Background Check Act of 2021. Um, supposedly, this is bipartisan. Do you know anything about this bill? that would increase background checks on private uh, exchanges of firearms. Apparently, the bill establishes new background check requirements for firearm transfers between private parties. Uh, Specifically, it prohibits a firearm transfer between private parties unless a licensed gun dealer, manufacturer, or importer first takes possession of the firearm to conduct a background check. The prohibition does not apply to certain firearms transfers or exchanges, such as a gift between spouses in good faith. That looks like the only exemption now for a private transfer uh, would be just to your wife or husband or spouse. Um, what do you want me to tell you about how broken background checks are? The fact that this is a universe, this is basically a de facto registry. Yeah, I mean, it, let's talk about it's that. a universal gun registration is what it is, because as we've seen, they plan to keep these records forever. Right. It's that. Uh, and so if they've got a record of every transaction and they keep them, uh, but they're not supposed to keep them, but they're going to transition to that because right. they've got the records. Right. Then it's it's a universal gun registry. Right. So uh, what's the argument against increasing background checks oh, for okay. people that let's let's say let's say you wanted to sell me one of your bazookas. Um, what's the argument against allowing you to do that without us going down to a gun store again? Leland, you're not supposed to talk about my bazooka oh, my collection. Bad. No, the one that the, okay. uh, you, I, I realize that you lost them in an unfortunate boating accident. But <laughs> yes, okay, thank you. But but should you have still had if you still had one of your bazookas that you lost in that boating accident and you theoretically wanted to sell it to me, what's the argument against allowing you to do that? What's the argument for the background check or against the background check? No, what's the, what's the argument against the background check? Because a lot of people are going to say, well, why not just background check that? I mean, outside of just your husband or your wife, 
you know, we're buddies, well, then, but you don't know what I'm going to do with it. Well, number one, let me let me start with uh, maybe not for bazookas. I'm not familiar with. I'm just throwing that out as a term. I know, I know, I know, I know. A pistol. Let me let me just talk about something that's not hypothetical. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, the background checks. I was, I was in the cloakroom this week talking to a congressman. He's like military. He's got top secret clearance. He's and he got turned down on a background check because his <laughs> name is. Similar, similar yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. And what happens, Leland, is within ethnicities and races, uh, people have similar names. Right. Right. And uh, compared to white, there's a lot of white guys named Bob. Right. And there are a lot of Hispanics with similar names, and there are a lot of African American males with similar names. Right. And the problem is. Uh, by a factor of three, according to John Lott, who worked at the uh, DOJ under Trump, by a factor of three, black males are falsely denied when they run through the background check compared to whites. Right. And by a factor of two, Hispanics are falsely denied. Right. So we've got hundreds of thousands of false denials in, in like a year, mm -hmm. in, in, you pick one year and you may have 112,000 false denials, which lead to 12 convictions. Now, is it because they don't want to convict people who are criminals who are trying to go out and get a gun and, and commit a crime? No, it's because the system uh, screwed 90, up. Most of the system is screwed up. So what happens when somebody is falsely denied right now, Leland? Well, and if they have a if they have a very pressing reason that they need a firearm to defend their life or their family, um, they could end up losing that battle because they couldn't or, get a firearm because the government correct. mistook them for someone else. Correct. Or right now they go find somebody who knows them and they do a private transfer. Right. And, and they don't get killed by their domestic abuser or whatever is about to befall them. Right. But the, okay. but the left will say that that is going to happen far fewer times than someone who is, say, hell bent on creating havoc. But, OK, well, the left will lie. Right. And this is and so this is where we get our statistics out. Right. And we show how many times uh, it, it, uh, a gun is used to prevent a crime. Right. And it's versus. Yeah, versus their statistics. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is typically people who are going to commit crimes with guns, um, they they get obtain those guns, you know, not not from people. It, it's it's an unsavory process that they go through. They, there's there's well, your Joe, Joe on the street isn't going to have a guy come up to him knowing that a straw purchase is illegal. Oh, yeah, I'll go buy you a gun. No big deal, right? If I, if First, most law-abiding, well, 99.99999% of law-abiding citizens, if they know somebody is about to commit a crime, they are not going to buy them a gun or get them a gun or give them a gun or whatever. No, because, well, it could, <laughs> you you could be liable yes, too. Yes, yes. If I gave you a gun, knowing that you were going to go do something criminal with it, I am now liable for what you did with it. Oh, you've also committed a crime even if you don't know what I'm going to do with the gun, but I'm a prohibited person. Right. Exactly. Exactly. If, if I, if for any of the reasons that I would be denied at a gun store. Right. If, uh, if when I fill out the 4473, you know, at the FFL, that's the form you fill out. Right. Uh, 
if for any of those reasons I would fail a background check and you sell me a gun without a background check, then you have committed a crime. You sold a gun to a prohibited person. So in other words, there are sufficient deterrents in place already without invading people's privacy even farther um, in order to create and, and, a, a registry of guns, essentially. Yeah, and the, and the deterrent the, isn't the deterrent. It's like John Lott my friend who's written nine or 10 books and five on guns and gun statistics. He said, look, if you took all, if you made all the drugs in the United States, like disappear, how long do you think it would take to show up on your street corner, you know, whatever town you're in, how long would it take for the drugs to be there after yeah. you just pressed a the button? They all disappeared. Right. It'd be a few hours, right? right, right. Maybe days. Right. If they had to get it back across the border, how, how long would it take for the guns to get there? Right. Well, they, the guns would be there at the same time as the drugs would be there. Right? Right. Because uh, the, the drug dealers, they don't adjudicate stuff. If somebody steals their stuff, they don't go to court. <laughs> yeah, right. They, they adjudicate it on the street with a gun. Right, right. And so they, it's like it's a, it's a prerequisite for dealing in drugs is to have a gun practically. Yeah. I, I, it's hard to define how far to the side of Liberty I am on guns. <laughs> I just, well, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to tell you what, I am not for background checks and universal background checks is a universal gun registry. The, the background checks we have are flawed. The Democrats want the system to be broken. Because they're really, at the end of the day, they just want fewer guns out there. That's yeah. what they want. Yeah. yeah. And so if the system is broken in a way that results in fewer people getting guns, even if it's law-abiding people, they're perfectly okay with that. So they're happy to have a broken system. The people running the system are okay with a broken system. Yeah. What they've unwittingly done is created a racial injustice. Right. Because the system is more broken for minorities than it is for whites. Um, so for those and many other reasons, it's a universal, uh, background. It's a universal gun registry is what it is. They're going to yeah. keep the records and then it's a prerequisite to confiscation. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, anything else you want to add to the 200th episode before we wrap it up? Just congratulations, congratulations, Leland. I, uh, don't know how you do it. I don't know how you got to 200. Uh, with 200 listeners, <laughs> <laughs> my mom listens to every single one. So we have 200 downloads. <laughs> I will, you know, in, all, in all seriousness, I look forward to sharing your 200, uh, edition. I am honored to be on not just your second one, but your 200th one. You have staying power. I can't wait to go on your 2000th one. Oh, that's coming up. Uh, and, uh, just, <laughs> Just keep cranking. Please have me back on when I prevail in in Massey v. Pelosi. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, that's I, that's going to be uh, because I don't think people realize just how important uh, this is. So it's fundamental. And and look, I may lose at either this juncture or the next juncture. I know I don't expect to win this case and the appeal and the Supreme Court. Right. Right. The, you know, it's like in a game, you expect the other team to score here and there. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to win this case and it is going to be so consequential and it will be 
one of my life's achievements to defend the Constitution against Nancy Pelosi. I think it's awesome. Listen, Congressman Massey, it's always good to talk to you. Drive safe as you uh, head on back, and uh, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me, Leland. Bye-bye. All All right. Talk to you later. All right, that was fascinating, and I believe we caused a sufficient amount of trouble for one episode. Guys, thanks for being with us, and I just want to thank Louisville Cabinets and Countertops for making 200 episodes of The Disruption Zone possible. I truly love these folks, and uh, we're also customers of theirs. We actually had them do our kitchen um, and uh, our bathroom, master bathroom, before we moved from Kentucky. We had several years to enjoy the gorgeous kitchen that they helped make for us. I mean, basically, we had a really awkward, ugly island, and they came in, and they fixed it, and then put quartz countertops in, and it just changed everything. And I'm confident that's the reason when it was time to sell that our house sold in just a matter of uh, less than a day, really. So pretty awesome. But you're going to love Tim Montgomery and his crew's work ethic, and you're going to love the way they approach your project. They have three designers on staff. Um Uh, And they're all waiting to take your call and help you build your dream kitchen. They can do it from start to finish. So I want you to call Louisville Cabinets and Countertops at 502-930-3304. Now, maybe you're a do-it-yourselfer and you don't need all the design services. You know what you want. You've already got everything laid out. You just need to order your countertops and get your cabinets. They actually have cabinets in stock. And, guys, there's a lot of uh, supply chain issues going on. Um, around the country, but not at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. And they have got styles like you wouldn't believe. I mean, every kind of style you can imagine for your kitchen, they're going to have that for you. Uh, Just go to their website at LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com, click on the Cabinets tab, in-stock cabinets, and then you're going to see styles from modern to shaker to country to traditional. It's absolutely gorgeous, very high-quality stuff affordably priced and ready to go. You don't have to wait for some supply chain kink to unravel, right? It's pretty awesome. Louisville Cabinets and Countertops at LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. If you're in since, uh, excuse me, if you're in uh, Louisville, northern uh, Kentucky or uh, cent- central Kentucky or southern Indiana, anywhere in that area, just give them a call, 502-930-3304. Also, a big thanks to uh, Dynamics Productions. They have been with us all 200 episodes of the Disruption Zone. Big thanks to my co-host and co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. And a big thanks to you for listening and sharing. Please continue to share this podcast. It's growing, and I appreciate that. Uh, we grow by sharing it, and uh, that's how it works. There's no charge for subscribing to the podcast at iHeartRadio's app, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts, and you can get fresh new episodes delivered straight to your phone. There's going to be a lot of great guests coming up in December. I can't wait to get these out to you, Uh, so please keep listening. Thank you so much. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show, and on Instagram, it's at GreatlyLondo, and the podcast is on Twitter. is at at Zone Disruption, and on Instagram at at The Disruption Zone. Thanks for listening. I'm Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.